passes hand. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philemon. Philemon, not the most familiar book for many of us, but it's located just after Titus, just before Hebrews in the New Testament. If you consider what the Lord Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then every word of God that we have in the scriptures gives life. Now that life comes by faith, and that faith comes by hearing, and that hearing is the word of Christ. So our faith is in Christ that by grace he will work as we receive his word, as we feed upon his word, as we hear his word. And even for a heart that is hard as stone, the Lord God can break that heart and make it willing to hear the word of God and to receive it and to obey it. It is to the glory of God that preaching something so simple is used to testify of Jesus Christ to proclaim him not with pictures but through the preaching of the word so receive his word as it is the very word of God read with me in Philemon starting in verse 17 so if you consider me your partner receive him as you would receive me if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Please join me in prayer. Our God and Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord, seemingly so simple, and yet, Lord, the living and active word of God, so that we might see Jesus, we might see our own sin, and we might turn to him, confessing our sins, casting all of our cares upon you, Lord, because we see the great care with which you have loved us through Jesus Christ. Father, send your Holy Spirit so that all would hear and would turn to Christ and walk in obedience to the glory of your name. We ask this in the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As the, the son of two parents who were known for their generosity, I remember going out to breakfast, to lunch, to dinner, go to different restaurants, some fancy, some really simple. And yet every time I went with my parents, my dad would pay the bill. 
And that was just what he did. And when I was younger, I really didn't give it a second thought. I just wanted to eat, eat to my fill, and then I wanted to go home and do what I wanted to do. So I just, I endured their countless cups of coffee at the end of the meal. And I was just like, are we ever going to go home? My brother and I are looking at each other. Is this ever going to end? But we enjoyed the fact that dad paid the bill. Now, much later, my brother and I thought, how can we pay the bill? How can we grab the bill before dad gets it and pay it? And you would think, how, you know, how hard can that be? You just sort of grab it and before it comes. But it was impossible. It was like literally impossible. And it was only much later in life that my dad just finally relented. I think my mom wore him down. And he's like, just let them pay the bill this one time. It's not a big deal, right? And so when my brother and I would get to do that, it was just like, oh, it was so glorious. I, there was no way to pay back the generosity of my father, my parents. There was just no way. I mean, if we, if we had a, a ledger sheet, it would be impossible. I'd come out on the losing end every single time. But those couple times that I got to pay the bill, Man, it was just, it was a response to the generosity. It was just a response of gratitude of what my father had done. Just the tiniest little bit of gratitude. But man, my brother and I treasured those handful of times we actually got to do that. It wasn't through anything good in and of ourselves. He simply relented and he let it happen a couple times, right? It was... Uh, it was wonderful. It, it, was, it was simply a response to the gratitude of my father. <clears throat> and this is the ministry I believe we see of the Apostle Paul, a response to the bold love that God has loved him through Jesus Christ, by, applied by the Holy Spirit. We see a boldness in Paul's ministry that he invites us to imitate by faith, that we would imitate him as he imitates Jesus Christ. So in your outline, you'll see three points. You'll see Paul's confident ministry. You'll see his cooperative ministry. And then you'll see a charged ministry. And ministry sounds like a really religious term, but at its simplest form, it simply means a service, almost of a, of a waiting on tables kind of service, a very menial, a very low task. It is a service, but this is service as unto the Lord. Think about why do you love your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor simply to demonstrate that you're loving him? You're loving her? Are you simply trying to earn credibility with your neighbor? Are you doing the, the right thing because you'll think you'll get credit for what you're doing? The Word of God gives us something so much greater than simply, I'll do this for you, you do this for me, in this reciprocal basis. See, God has loved us to the greatest extent. He saw our sin and misery. He saw how far we were separated from him. And while we were still enemies, Christ died for sins on the cross. 
Perhaps you may love God little because you see your sin very little. Maybe you don't see his sin, your sin as, as God sees it. Laid before him thought, word, and deed so that by faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven, you are covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. And all that you do is a response, is a response of gratitude for what he has done for you and what he will do. You can never repay the love of God. You simply respond in gratitude by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that love that you receive enables you to love your neighbor with a boldness, with a confidence, because it's not depending on you, it's depending on the grace of God in every way. So let's look at Paul's confident ministry. We're gonna jump down to verse 21. And I'd encourage you if, you, if you don't have a Bible, we have them out in the foyer, we have them in the back. Most of us have them on our phone. To look at it is to treasure it and to ask the Lord, how can this word apply to me right now, today? Let's look first in verse 21, Paul's confident ministry. He tells Philemon, I am confident of your obedience. So I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more, even more than I say. Paul's confident. Comes from the verb to trust, to be persuaded, to have a basis of confidence. Paul is asking, seemingly imposing upon Philemon, how confident is Paul? Well, as we, we look through the letter, this very short letter, we see evidence for Paul's confidence. In verses eight and nine, Paul is so confident, he says that I could command you, Philemon, to do what's required, but for love's sake, I'm going to appeal to you. I'm going to appeal. He's appealing for what? Onesimus. Onesimus is the runaway slave. And we, we dealt with that in the, the last sermon and how that works out. Um, so we won't belabor the point, but Onesimus is Philemon's runaway slave. He's a bondservant, but for all intents and purposes, he's a slave. He's under Philemon's authority. Onesimus has run away. And now, through Paul's ministry, Onesimus has come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation. And so Paul, who's benefited from Onesimus' ministry in some form, is ready to send him back to Philemon. And not just to receive Onesimus as, as a slave and just continue life the way it was, but Paul's imposing on Philemon in verse 16, receive him not simply as a servant, but what? As a brother in Christ. He's now spiritually your brother. You are part of the same family. You have the same father. Onesimus was a help to Paul. Now Paul is sending him back. For what purpose? Well, Paul is discipling Philemon from a distance 
but he's doing it for Philemon's good. Paul even asks, he's so confident that Philemon will do even more than Paul asks of him. He says, you know what, why don't you prepare a guest room for me too? So Lord willing, when I go to see you, I'll stay with you. Paul is doubling down. He's going all the way. And you might think, how could Paul have such boldness? How can he have such confidence? I could never ask that much of another person. Well, Paul's already seen in Philemon's life. He's seen fruit of Philemon's faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 1, he calls Philemon a beloved fellow worker. They're working for the sake of the gospel together. Philemon has a church in his own house, and his family is supporting that church. And Paul hears in verse 5 of Philemon's love toward all the saints and faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's benefited directly from Philemon's love. Paul's seen the fruit of the Spirit of God in Philemon's life. And rather than just sit back and be content and think, well, this guy's doing okay, let me go disciple some other people. Paul presses in. He presses into Philemon's life and he asks for more. Do you have the boldness to do that to those who are around you? Do you have the confidence in the gospel to press in to the life of another not because you're imposing your will, but because you're willing to see what God can do, how much more that he can do above and beyond all that he asks or thinks of us. Ultimately, Paul is not just imposing his will. Paul sees the evidence of Philemon's faith. He sees the obedience of faith, as he tells the Roman church. There's a connection between faith and obedience. Faith in Christ will always yield obedience to Christ. Faith in Christ will yield fruit. The good tree, Jesus says, bears good fruit. You can count on it. You're not bearing good fruit. It could be a dry season, or you may not be a good tree. And that's why good fruit is not being born. But you have to ask yourself. You have to be willing to examine yourself with the Word of God, asking the Spirit of God to search you. Faith in Christ will bring obedience to Christ. It may be hard, it may be costly, but it will bring obedience. Paul tells the Philippian church this. This is another way that he expressed confidence. He says, I am sure, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. You can be sure that that work will be completed. If the work depends on you, it will fail. But if your faith is in Christ, that work will continue. You will see the fruit of that work. We see, secondly, Paul's confident ministry leads to a cooperative ministry, verses 23 through 25. This is a, a very short letter. Most of your translations, it fits on one page. It's so short, you, you just skip right over it. And yet, it's the very word of God. And it is profitable for instruction, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Even this word. 
So Paul, in this short letter, he mentions seven team members, seven people on his ministry team. And this is just a handful of many that he could have mentioned. The first, we obviously see Philemon. The letter's addressed to him. He's receiving it. Philemon's on Paul's ministry team. Onesimus. Onesimus is Paul's true child in the faith. That means not a physical child, but a spiritual child. He's led Onesimus to Christ. He's trusted Christ. And Paul has confidence that Onesimus will be useful to both you and me, he tells Philemon. And then in verses 23 and 24, we see five men that are mentioned also in Paul's letter to, to the Colossians. He mentions Epaphras. Epaphras helped to plant a church in Colossae. We, he mentions Mark, or also known as John Mark. This is Barnabas's cousin, another partner in ministry. Aristarchus, he suffered hardship and even persecution for the sake of the gospel. And then Luke, we know Luke, the writer of the gospel, wrote it on Paul's behalf. Luke, also known as the beloved physician. And then lastly, Demas. Demas is mentioned as a fellow worker, but Paul later tells Timothy about Demas. Demas, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.10, he says, Demas fell in love with the present world and he has deserted me. And I think that's a somber warning. So Paul's ministry team today, your ministry team today could change. Right? The work that God has begun will persevere in the lives of all of his saints, but some will necessarily fall away. It's a somber warning that there but for the grace of God go any one of us. So we don't depend on our performance today. We depend on Christ by grace through faith. And he is the one that perseveres in us. So these partners are for the sake of the gospel. But no human partnership is ever sufficient for heavenly work. So as you look at verse 25, you see a benediction that we could easily just look over. It's, it's a shortened benediction that Paul gives, and he only uses it in two other letters. In verse 25, the closing verse of this letter, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And you can so quickly go over that and think, well, that's just the standard closing to a letter. What does that really have to do with me? Well, beloved, if the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is not with your spirit, you are hopeless. You stand before a God who will judge you for your sins, past, present, and future, thought, word, and deed. And you have no hope to stand before this God apart from his grace that is received by faith in Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is all you have to stand. The 20th century Welsh pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones expressed it like this. He says, it is grace at the beginning and grace at the end. So that when you and I come to lie upon our deathbeds, the only thing that should comfort and help and strengthen us is the one thing that helped us in the very beginning. 
not what we have been, not what we have done, but the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. The Christian life starts with grace. The Christian life continues with grace, and it ends in grace. Grace, wondrous grace, he says. By the grace of God, I am what I am, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Now, earlier we recited the Lord's Prayer, and we said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Another one of those phrases we could just sort of blow right through without even thinking of it. You know, we're just reciting our prayers, moving on to the next thing, and you think about debts. Think about debts that accumulate day by day. Think about the debts that you keep track of, the offenses that have come against you. They're like little drips of water. One offense, another offense, another, and it just keeps filling up, filling up until the cup spills over. Somebody blows up and you think, oh, what was wrong with him? Well, guess what? <laughs> the drips just kept accumulating. The offenses kept accumulating. Do you forgive debts as Christ has forgiven you? There's all sorts of debts that accumulate. There's the, the little tiny offenses, the person who's passing another person in the hallway and one person's getting ready to say hi and the other person is distracted and doesn't say anything and you think, oh, what's wrong with that person? Why didn't they say hi to me, right? Then there's social media gives us a whole new way of, of creating a ledger of debts. We, we, you've certainly experienced if you're on social media of any kind, the Facebook injustice, right? The Facebook injustice, you say, what is that? You say, oh, well, this so-and-so, this person, they put something nice up there, maybe it was dancing kitties, or maybe it was something about their family, and I liked it, but then I posted something, and they didn't even, they just ignored it, they never liked it. And, oh, how, what an injustice I've experienced, right? These things, add up unless you're conscious of what's happening and then all of a sudden you're judging one another right in your mind like you wouldn't do it out loud because you're you're, you're a good christian you wouldn't do that out loud but inside of you you're carrying these things you're creating your own set of ledgers and you are not living by grace you're living by works paul the apostle paul spoke to the galatians the galatian church he said you started by faith you did well, but now you're perfecting yourself through works. You're no longer running this race by grace, and you're in danger to do so. See, and this leads us to the third point, which connects to this, this idea of grace. Paul's ministry was confident. Paul's ministry was cooperative. Paul's ministry was also charged. It was a charged ministry. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, look in verse 18. Verse 18, he says, If Onesimus has wronged you at all, Philemon, or if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. Charge it to my account, he says. Literally, it reads this, this problem, this offense, this debt, to me, 
charge, account, reckon it to me. If he's wronged you, to what degree? If he's wronged you at all, charge it to my account. Or if he owes you, if he owes you how much? Is there a limit on how much he owes? No, if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. Notice the degree of Paul's boldness and confidence. Now look at yourself. Do you live the Christian life as if it all depends on you? If it all depends on you, are you simply drawing from your own bank account in order to achieve what you think God wants you to do? You can live like this for a while until, of course, you're overdrawn. And then the wheels come off the wagon and life gets messy. And then you try to pick yourself back up and start over. When you're living in your own strength, the wheels will come off the wagon and you will be overdrawn. It's like living the Christian life as if you're using a debit card, right? So the debit card works off of your resources, whatever is in your account. If it's $100, $1,000, $1,000,000, it's going to be some finite number. And at some point, I don't care how many swipes you do, if you don't replenish the account, you get that warning, overdrawn, insufficient funds, you've run out of gas, you can't go any further. You don't have the ability to continue because you've expended your resources. But Paul's ministry is a charged ministry. It's not a debit ministry. He's not drawing against his own righteousness. He's not drawing off of his own strength. It is charged where? Against the treasury of heaven, against the riches of heaven, against what his savior has purchased through his life and death and resurrection. Paul's, what is Paul charged to Christ? All of Paul's sins are charged against the account of Jesus Christ on the cross. By faith, Paul's sins, even the fact that Paul is sinner, is charged to the account of Christ. It's, it's as if Jesus says, Christian, of all of your sin, charge that to my account. I have paid for it in full at the cross. Charge it to my account. But then what does Paul receive? Apart from the forgiveness of sins, he received the righteousness of Christ by faith. That is charged to Paul's account. He's living not through his own strength, not through his own ability, but through the riches of heaven by faith in Jesus Christ. It's a charged ministry. Look at verse 17 and look what Paul says. If you consider me your partner, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. Look at the exchange that takes place. Paul is the apostle, right? There's only about a dozen of them, right? I mean, if we, we account for the, the swap out of Judas and the replacement, there's still, there's a dozen and there's Paul. So finite number. But Onesimus is a slave. What do we know about slaves in the Roman Empire in the first century? They're a dime a dozen. So Paul's one of a dozen. Onesimus is a dime a dozen. 
And yet Paul recognizes he's not the one to do the power play. He's not the one to force his hand. He's not the one to force his will upon another. He appeals to Philemon. He appeals to his conscience. Paul recognizes he's a bondservant, just as Onesimus is. He's a servant of the living God, just as Onesimus is. How could Paul make such an offer? Well, you know the deal that God has offered. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the great exchange that the Lord God offers. You don't have to live life in your own strength. You have the strength of the living God by faith in Christ. Either your sin is charged to the account of Christ or it's charged to you. And you, through an eternity separated from the living God, you pay for that sin. All things are made right. So either justice is done by you paying for your sin or justice is done because Christ has paid for your sin. And by faith in him, you are credited with that account. By God's grace, you can love boldly. You can love with confidence. You can love cooperating with other believers, even believers from other denominations. It's wonderful how the Lord can work in and through us when we're willing to follow him. The apostle exemplifies a gospel ministry that's confident, cooperative, and charged. He is boldly loved. Paul is boldly loved. Theologians call this reasoning from the indicative, right? The state of being of Paul is one that is loved by God, has been forgiven of his sins, and full of grace by God's spirit. He can go off and live a pleasing life to him. He can do all that the Lord calls him to do. He's living by grace through faith. Because Paul has been loved so boldly, he's then willing to move from the indicative to the imperative. He's willing to obey the commands of his God. So Paul can love boldly. He can even love Philemon not just playing it safe, but he pulls out with confidence, he pulls out all the stops. He says, I'm confident you will do even more than I say. Not because Paul is going to press his hand, but where was Paul's confidence? In the grace of God working in another believer that the Lord would do above and beyond what he could even imagine. Paul's confidence in Christ is so great that he turns the tables in just two verses. Verse, verse 18 and 19, look at those. Verse 18, he says, if, if he's wronged you, if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. So now Paul is the debtor. Charge it to me, Philemon. But then verse 19, he mentions, oh, by the way, Philemon, I can repay whatever's owed to say nothing 
of your owing me even your own self. Paul turns the tables very quickly. How could Paul impose in such a way? His confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ. But one commentator says that Philemon turns from creditor to debtor. Creditor to debtor in just two verses, from verse 18 to 19. Paul's account is infinite because he's trusting in his Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's not simply pressing his luck. He is trusting that the Lord Jesus will work in Philemon and do beyond all that he could even have imagined. Are you willing to press into the life of another person for the sake of discipleship? Are you willing to ask them to do something that may even seem beyond what, the, what they could do and trust by faith? Are you willing to ask them to stop doing something that you know is contrary to the Word of God? And they need to hear that. And maybe you are the person they need to hear it from. Paul could only be so confident because his confidence was in the Lord, Jesus Christ. In a similar way, by faith, your sins are credited to Christ on the cross. And by faith, the riches of heaven are credited to your account. We can live like this in a way that is surprising, that grace would surprise us in the day-to-day. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body, in other words, your whole person, is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. You've been purchased. So therefore, you can glorify God. You can bring glory to Him in all that you do. Christian, you are boldly loved so that you can love boldly in a surprising way. Bold means daring, courageous, brave, intrepid, fearless. It's it's a, a kind of taking a risk, but it's a risk that the Lord God has assumed. He's assumed the risk. We are feeble people. We, we, we read and we heard earlier from Psalm 103, right? the Lord God knows our frame. He knows how weak we are. And yet, he has chosen to glorify himself through the weakest of things so that he receives the glory, he receives the honor, he receives the praise. Are you willing to live a life of boldness? Are you simply willing to do what looks safe and predictable. The Lord God is calling us to so much more. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus by faith. Would you pray with me? Our God and Father, Lord, thank you for the great grace with which you have loved us. Lord, we have a Savior from all eternity, the only begotten Son of God, and we have beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. And Lord, the truth of the matter is that if if it depended upon us, we would be convicted before you. We would deserve the very wrath of God. And yet, Lord, by 
grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we have hope, not just eternal, but right now, that begins in the very moment. Lord, we are so needy of your grace. I pray, Father, you'd work mightily in the lives of each one here so that their response would be one of gratitude, would be one of praise, would be one of honor to your name. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.